The Teachers College at Emporia State University presents How We Teach This. Welcome to How We Teach This. We have an exciting episode today with several guests that are working on changing the way they assess students and grading in a different way, looking at standard-based grading instead of a traditional method. And I'm going to ask for each of you, if you would please, to introduce yourself, tell us what subject you teach, and maybe just give a little bit of background of your past teaching experience. Sure, Christy. Thanks for having us. Uh, my name is Jamil Siddiqui. I, I teach high school mathematics at East Bridgewater Junior Senior High School. I, I've been at East Bridgewater Public Schools for the last 29 years, always teaching AP Calculus for each of the years I've been there, but I've also taught pretty much every math course we've offered. Uh, I'm excited to be here today to talk to you a little bit about some of the things that we've been working on as a group. And it's especially exciting to me because I'm, I'm not only here with my colleagues, I'm here with my wife and one of my former students as well. Not the same person, but they're both here today. So <laughs> I want to pass it on to Kelly at this point in time, and she can introduce herself. <laughs> so I'm Kelly Damalis, and I am a high school science teacher at East Ridgewater High School. I currently teach AP Environmental Science biology, and just on-level CP environmental science. And I really jumped into this whole grading thing just because grading was such a frustration for me. So I'm really excited to share what we've been working on because I think it's really changed my practices and made grading so much easier. I'm Jamie Hulk. Um, I teach English at East Bridgewater Junior Senior High School. I've been teaching for 17 years. And for the last 15 years, I've been teaching AP Language. AP literature, and I've also taught every level there is. <laughs> I've gone from college prep nine to honors 12 to college prep 12 and everything in between. And I just really have been excited about changing my practices because when I started teaching AP years ago, it just didn't align with what I really wanted to do. Kids weren't taking risks and they were too afraid of that they would get a bad grade. And so I said, something needs to change. We need to switch things up. And so it's been really exciting to see those changes happening in the classroom and to actually have things like align with my vision has been really great. So thank you for having me. Cool. Hi, I'm Becky Dugan. I also teach at East Bridgewater High School. I teach history, primarily um, American history, all the survey of it. I teach the AP and then I also teach the honors level of US one. And um, similar to what others have said, I think I found myself kind of stuck in this circle of grading for completion and saying, oh, this homework is done. It looks good. And kind of giving a lot of points for completion and behaviors, passing in papers on time and studying for quizzes and things like that. And I kind of realized that I wanted to make a change. I didn't love where it was going. And I started talking to some colleagues and we started really changing what we're doing with our students. So that's what brought me here. Wonderful. So the first thing I'm thinking of is, has your district or your school as a whole uh, made any mandates or pushing to change the way you grade? Or is this something you kind of just done individually on your own? So I think as individuals, we all kind of went rogue a few years, years ago, and we were kind of doing things on our own. We did not have a lot of administrative support at all um, at the beginning. And then slowly, as we started to make changes in our own individual classrooms, we all started talking to one another and really just started to see the changes that our, ourselves were making. 
and to just kind of get on board and use common language and, you know, common terminology, common grading practices and see kind of where we could go from there. So the last few years, the four of us have really come together. And then this year, we really tried to formalize it. This is the first year, I would say that we do have administration who is supportive of us making those changes. I think we don't have to go rogue in secret anymore. I think we actually (laughs) do have that support. But this has really been the first year that we've tried to formalize everything. But there has not been any sort of mandate. Um, Administration has not told us that we have to do this. So it's just been something we started as individuals and then collectively started working together. Okay. To help us understand where we are, maybe it would be good to define traditional grading and then define standards-based grading, which is a common term that's out there. And then if what you're doing fits into either of those categories, or if it's different, kind of help us define what you're doing and what it looks like in comparison. Well, I think of traditional grading is using a point system. So every assignment gets a certain allotment of points. And depending on how much you want to weight that assignment, you give different amount of points. So like a test might be out of 100 points, quiz might be out of 50 or 30 points, and then like classwork, homework is out of 10. And so a student's graded based on how many points they get out of the total amount of points. And I personally hated this system because I had no idea how to come up with the point values. I felt like, uh, I know my test needs to be out of 100 points. So I have to figure out how I'm going to get this assignment to have 100 points of value to it. So I might make a question 10 points. And then when it comes to grading it, Well, did the student get all 10? Did they get eight? Did they get only five? I felt like I was arbitrarily coming up with those point values. And so that's why I went to the more standards-based side because the traditional side, it was just every assignment had that point value and it was just what number of points did the student get out of the total. I think traditional grading too is you do, the kid does the work, they get points for it, we move on. (laughs) And that's what I think of for traditional grading as well. I was actually going to kind of touch on to that point, too. That's like, you know, a kid gets a homework assignment, they go home, they do it, they come back. You might grade it for completion. You might look at it and say, well, it's mostly correct. So I'm going to take a point off or two here. But, you know, as Kelly said, it's like, why am I exactly am I taking that point or two off? What exactly am I assessing this homework assignment on? Am I grading it because it's complete? Am I grading it because it's correct? Is it a combination of both? And if so, have I explained that to my students? You know, do they know what's expected of the homework assignment? And the same thing with tests and quizzes. You know, we prepare students to take these tests, these quizzes, and then we grade them out of this, you know, either a point system or percentage system. And then they take the test and we score it. And, you know, did they study, you know, a half hour before and take the test? They can master it, but they haven't actually mastered the material. And then what's encouraging them to retain that information in the long term and practice the skills in the long term? I think a lot of what we like about the shift we've made is that, you know, we're looking at whether or not students understand the material. and Are, are they gaining knowledge in our, in our subjects? You know, they, they've got a list of, of, of things that they should be able to do. And I think, you know, somebody already mentioned, you know, in, in traditional grading, maybe we ask that question on a test in October, then maybe we never see it again for the rest of the year. Whereas with what we're doing now, we're always spiraling back. We're always going back and testing them again and giving them chance after chance after chance to show not only that they had mastery at one point in the year, but they continue to have mastery all throughout the year. Okay, It's not something you're just going to learn, take a test on on Friday and forget it on Monday 
because it's not going anywhere. We're going to keep going back to that. And you're, going to, you're going to need to know it throughout the rest of the year. So I, I, I think that's a real big plus that we all support very, very strongly. I think one of the difficulties that we have is that we don't live in a society that wants us to do standard-based grading. We, we live in a society that wants a term grade every nine weeks. And we want that to be an A. And if it's not an A, somebody's doing something wrong. And that's a challenge because, you know, for me in my class, I'll have students who have nowhere near close to mastery after nine weeks. And that should be perfectly okay because they're on the trajectory to having mastery. And the fact that they're not a master after nine weeks shouldn't be held against them. But in our way of reporting out our grades, every nine weeks, they've got a ranking period that's going to show up on a transcript that could be going to a college for admissions or, or something like that. How do we satisfy both sides of that? You know, how, how do we do it so that it, we're saying it's okay that you take your time and you learn at your own rate as long as you're progressing towards our goal. But then we have these hard deadlines of every nine weeks that, you know, we've got to report out and that, you know, this, this grade is, carries so, so much weight. And I think we all agree that, you know, we kind of wish there was only one grade at the end. You know, and, and, and we didn't have to report out every nine weeks, so students could feel comfortable just learning at their own pace. That reminds me too, Jamil. Traditional grading is all about averaging, right? So whatever you did at the beginning is going to get averaged in with whatever you did at the end. So that was a huge reason why so many years ago I made this shift is because I started teaching AP language, which is completely different from any other English class that kids have taken before. So they're studying something called rhetorical analysis. And most of my juniors had never even heard this phrase before. So they come in at the beginning and they don't understand how to annotate or they don't understand how to analyze. And that's fine because a month into school, they are going to understand that. But in a traditional grading system, I would have to take that low grade from September, average it with that high grade from October or November, and then they'd end up with a 50. And that just didn't sit right with me. That just didn't make sense. So I think it's that struggle of we've made such major strides, but then we have to fit it into this traditional grading system that whether it's society or our district or whatever it is expects of us. And as Jamil mentioned, it's that nine week grading period. So our kids may not be there yet, but we still have to give them a grade at that particular, you know, end of the term or end of the semester or whatever it might be. But one thing that has worked really well for us is moving away from those averages, you know, feeling empowered to not have to give those kids those averages. So if they did bomb something at the beginning of the year, we can kind of let that go and our system focuses on where they are currently as opposed to averaging what they did from the beginning of the term to the end. So I think that's been really successful too. I can talk a little bit about how we shifted grading um, because I'm probably the newbie to the group. Janelle's been doing this forever. Kelly and Jamie, I consider them like completely experts. One of the things that we had to do with standards-based grading, and I teach U.S. history, it's really content-driven. But I also have a skill set, especially in the AP class. So the first thing we had to do is I define standards. You know, what am I actually assessing? I took mine from the skill set outlined the AP handbook that they give to us, the CED. And I made those the standards in my AP course. And in full transparency, I've actually only adopted this in my AP course, not in my other courses. I'm actually still doing a more traditional grading model. I knew I might actually regret that at one point this year. And I can already see like the standards-based grading is far better for me at this point in time. So we'll see what next year brings. But anyway, so we, we had to find our standards. And that for me was really difficult. And I think for a lot of teachers, that's a big struggle. Like, because once you set your standards, they're your standards for the year. And you can probably add and, and, you know, make some changes. But that, 
that took a lot of time and um, for me to process and think about what it, am I actually assessing them on? Am I going to give them like 50 content standards? That's way too much. So I decided to assess my content through the skills that the A Push curriculum had outlined. And so we set our standards in and then we all kind of met and we said, okay, how are we going to do this? What does assessment actually look like? So we all came up with our own individual rubrics, but it was a four point scale. And we basically decided we would all give these really kind of short and quick assessments, maybe weekly, maybe biweekly, depending on the schedule. We have an every other day schedule, so biweekly can be tough, but just really short assessments targeting a standard that we've outlined and we've given to the kids and we've given the rubric. And then we assess these small quizzes. You can think of them as small quizzes, but these small assessments on this one to four scale. And we keep each kid's kids through Google Sheets and we have their, their scores one to four. And then I looked at their standard scores for the last like two to three assessments. You know, where were they? And you make a judgment. And some kids, it's very, very easy. You know, they kind of bounce between the two and the three, but they end closer to the three. Other kids, it's a little more difficult. I called Kelly, Jamie on a couple of occasions, like, hey, you know, I need some advice. What do I do on this? That's how I got to it. Set my standards, make new assessments, make the assessments smaller, five, 10 minute quick assessments that you can do more frequently instead of big tests and big quizzes and just track students' progress throughout the term. And then we do take that standards-based system and fit it into the traditional grading box because then at the end of the term, we had to assign one single grade for each kid. So we had to look at you know what levels of mastery did they have across the standards we hit this term and come up with some sort of number grade. So we kind of made like almost like a GPA-like system where like depending on how many threes and fours, so mastering in meetings, did you get... Well, you get an A. If you're mostly meeting the standards across the board, you're probably in the B range. So we had to take what we were doing and then fit it back into the traditional grading system. And for me, and I know Jamie and Kelly and Becky do something similar. You know, I was talking earlier about how at the end of those nine weeks, you know, those kids might not have mastery. And that's okay if they don't have mastery. So if I've got a kid who's been working hard but is showing, you know, a level that does not reflect mastery, it's kind of difficult for me to want to say, okay, let me give them a D or let me give them a C at this point in time. So I think all of us have ways of conferencing with students at the end of the year and, and, and talking individually with students about where do you think you're at? What, what, tra what trajectory do you think you're on? Because as long as we have those nine-week grading periods, you know, and, and colleges are looking, parents are looking, and, and, and society's not understanding the grading system, you know, I, I feel it's very difficult for us to go with a, a subpar grade for a kid who's progressing, for a kid that's moving forward. You know, and like I said, we, we all have our ways of, of talking to our students individually about where they are at and saying, okay, nine weeks ended today, you know, according to the standard, this is your level of mastery. But it, how do we come up with that, that final grade? I, th I think there's still a little bit of give and take. I know there is for me anyway, uh, and meeting with students and, and, and trying to come up with what, what is fair under the under the the circumstances. And and again, for me, probably the biggest thing is what's going to motivate that student to continue to give their best effort. You know, if, if if me giving a kid a poor grade because they don't have mastery shuts that kid down, then that's so counterproductive. Then standard based grading isn't worth it. We got we got to figure out what's going to motivate that student and keep them moving forward. I think in our system, too, kids are given a lot of chances. So I mentioned how we don't really average, but kids have attempts. So every assessment, we call it attempt number one, attempt number two for each particular standard. 
So I know the I'm the lead teacher of the English department and the whole English department at our school is doing this. So that's been really fun to see every single kid nine to 12 has been testing this out. So it's been fascinating to see how families react and students react and all that. But what we did as an English department is we did something called level up day. So at the end of the term, students were given the opportunity to do another attempt at showing us their level of understanding for that particular standard. And that was really great to see across the board, all levels, you know, ninth graders to seniors, kids really were, they had opportunities to show us what they knew. And it didn't have to be in a traditional quiz format or test format. You know, for some kids, it was just showing us the work that they had done all term. They were really proud of the work that they had handed in and they wanted us to go into it in depth and really look at it in depth. Other kids came up with projects and wrote songs and raps and, you know, all that fun stuff. So it's, I think that this really gives kids an opportunity to show in a variety of different ways. They have choice and voice and like, you know, just gives them a variety of ways to show their levels of understanding. It doesn't just stop at one thing. It's not like they took that one quiz, they didn't do well, and then we never talk about that quiz again. As Jamil mentioned, everything keeps coming up over and over again. So students are given a lot of opportunities. It is challenging for kids to earn that A and get the mastering at the beginning of the year. However, I also think it's really difficult for kids to fail because they're given so many opportunities. So I think this really helps students. It doesn't put them in that F or D category. I think it really gives them a lot of chances to succeed. Yeah, like at the end of the term, if we've assessed four standards for the course, we look, okay, how many fours, threes, twos, and ones did they get? So a four meaning mastery, three being they met the standard, two, they're approaching, or one, they are not there yet, or even a zero, they haven't even attempted. So we'll take an average across all their standards. So not per standard. So we're not averaging a standard. We're averaging together each separate standard into one score. So like if they got all fours, the average is a four. They got mostly fours with maybe like one three, then they're in like a a 3.5 to four range. So anything in that range, we're defining as an A. So are they meeting and mastering pretty much all the standards? They're in the A range. If they're hitting most, if they hit threes across every single standard, then they're going to get a B. It really varies depending on it how many standards you assess, but pretty much mostly meeting and mastering, you're in the A range. We've been using rubrics in a traditional grading environment, but typically the rubrics I've seen have proficient and then they have advanced and then they have exemplary and proficient is considered a C, but it sounds like that's not what you're doing here. So proficient to me means you've met the basics of what you've been asked to do. And then exemplary, you have to show that you've gone well above and beyond. And it sounds like your rubric is set up more as the goal is mastery. That's the top level. And I was just kind of wanting to clarify the difference in the rubrics. I would say that for us, the mastery level is going above and beyond. So like if it was a quiz, they could literally get every single thing right. They, If there's open-ended questions, they really explain it well. If it's a project, it's going above and beyond what the expectations were. Whereas the meeting category, which we equate more with the B, is they've met the standard. They can do what they need to do. So on a quiz, they might get a couple quiz questions wrong, or they might be able to pick the question. But if you had a conversation with them, they couldn't really tell you why. Um, so we believe that that would be they've met the standard. And so for us, that's where what we equate to a B. 
And I think a C would be somewhere like they've met some standards, but not all. So some are in that approaching range. Um, so a C is like there's still some room for improvement to meet all the standards. Coming up with that common terminology was a challenge, too. So we mentioned at the beginning how all of us were kind of doing this as individuals. And then when we came together and started, you know, piecing it together that we were all kind of doing similar things, we thought to make it easier on our students and our families, let's start using the same terminology. So that was challenging to come up with those words, because originally we did have the words that you mentioned, like proficient and exemplary, and then we ended up changing it. And even that, every time I talk to colleagues who are interested in this kind of newfound grading, but don't want to jump in yet. I think it's easy to just kind of dip your toes in the water by getting rid of numbers and switching to words, right? So instead of putting a 98 out of 100, you know, make it masters instead of that number or make it meets instead of that number. I think just changing it up to words instead of numbers allows the kids to not focus so much. A huge reason why I wanted to change to a different grading system too was because I got so sick of kids asking me, why Why did I get a 98? Why did I lose this point? And they were really splitting hairs over points. So I think making it on the four-point system as opposed to the 100-point system makes things a lot easier to grade and a lot more equitable. We wanted to distinguish between a student who didn't do anything versus a student who tried and didn't show any level of understanding. Do you have zeros in your grade book? There's been this debate about the zero for those students who do not attempt or did not turn in or were absent. And it has a huge hit on their grade. How does that look for you? So because the way we grade is per standard, if a kid misses one assessment, they'll most likely be there for the other assessments, hopefully. And so I call it like, evidence. So if you miss a day, miss one assessment, you're just missing one piece of evidence. Your grade will be based off what evidence I have in front of me. So it won't hurt you to not take it. It can only help you. So I think of it more like having more evidence is better. So you want to have all your attempts in. But if you miss one, it doesn't change your grade. And the other part of that is a lot of those zeros are tied to things like classwork or homework. And so we grade those very differently. We call them tasks. So, Jamie, if you want to talk more about that, that was really your idea of coming up with the tasks. We have three different categories. So one category is tasks, but that basically is classwork and homework and all of those activities. And then we also have the categories that fit the standards. So for each department, it depends on what your standards look like. But for us, we have reading, writing, speaking and listening and language. Those are the English department's categories. And then each standard counts as an assignment in school brains under that standard. We have four reading standards. Those four reading standards fall under the reading category. In So we have tasks, we have the standards categories, and then the last one we have is the preliminary grade. So the preliminary grade is an A, B, C, D, or a not yet. Um, and not yet is an F. It will become an F at the end of the term, but throughout the whole term, it just means they haven't showed us learning yet. The preliminary grade is the only one that counts in school brains. So every the ta all of the tasks and all of the standards categories are all counting as zero. Those tasks will go in as either done, incomplete, or missing. So as far as your original question about does it count as a zero, there's no numbers. So it just goes in as a missing. So it doesn't actually count as a zero or count as a 50 because we don't have any numbers attached to those. 
And then the standards categories will go in as those either four, three, two, one, zero, or masters meeting, approaching, not yet meeting, or did not attempt. And what I like to tell my students is that if you keep getting missing, so because they're not actually like tying into their number grade, if you have a lot of tasks that they're missing, those tasks are meant to be practiced to help you reach a meeting or a mastery grade. So if you see a lot of missing, it's going to be a lot harder for you to get to those levels that you're looking for if you're trying to get an A in the class. So yes, they're not graded numerically, but if you're not getting the work done, then it's going to be harder to do well in the class. And then there might be some kids where they could literally get away with doing none of the work and still get an A. And so I tell them, if that's you, then you're lucky. But at the same time, for most kids, they need to do all that practice work to do well. I think it's also just reshaping how you think about things. So I think as teachers, we're kind of trained to say, if a kid didn't pass in an assignment, they get a zero or they lose 10 points every day that it's late or something like that. And I think with this grading system, you really just have to reshape the way you think about things and how to motivate kids. So I know the English department, they had some issues with the ninth graders not passing in assignments because they didn't think that it counted. And then they learned very quickly that they actually did have to do that because as Kelly mentioned, it's practice before you take that assessment. So we had one teacher who said, unless the student completed X number of practice assignments, they weren't allowed to take the assessment. They weren't prepared to take the assessment yet. So that really motivated students to complete those practice tasks. So that way they know that they could then be eligible to take the assessment. So you just have to think a little bit differently, I think, in this system. Well, and I'm used to students who have actually asked, how many points is this worth? And they're listening for the answer to determine, am I going to do this or not? Or how much effort am I going to put into it? And it is frustrating because, you know, the reason I give you this assignment is because I want you to learn and it's to help you learn. And if I just say, well, it's not busy work, that doesn't go very far. So I am curious, what kind of reception have you gotten since this is new from parents and students? Is it is it going well? Are they liking it? Are they adjusting to it? Or have you gotten pushback? I would say for the students, an adjustment. I'm lucky fortunate because, you know, Jamil's been doing this for a while. James been doing this so that it's not completely unheard of. And a lot of students share um, at least three of us at, in the same year. So, but definitely a lot of questions from students and from parents. Although I have had some parent pushback, not as much as I was maybe expecting, but mostly students just not being able to understand that, you know, homework isn't, you don't get a hundred because you did your homework and I'm looking at your assessments. I'm not looking at the bounty of work you've completed to get to that point that you're on the assessment. And so a lot of questions about trying to get students to kind of buy in and understand what the system is, where their grade is coming from. I spent more time talking about grades and where their grade is coming from this year than I have in any other year teaching, just trying to get them to buy in and understand. I think for the most part, it has gone well. Not every student is thrilled, but we are, you know, we talk a lot about how kids are starting to ask different questions, whether it's just surface level or not. Questions about like, well, what do I need to learn to do better on my next one? Instead of how do I get a hundred instead of a 98 or a 95? We are getting those questions, which is awesome. But there's still, you know, I think it'll be a little while before the kids completely can wrap their heads around it, maybe after we do it for a couple of terms. 
But yeah, so definitely some initial pushback. And it's funny, the kids, you know, I told you a lot of us here students, they'll like come to another one of us to talk about the grading system. And then they're like, well, we're doing the same grading system here. What's your problem with it? And so in one, some ways it's good because the kids are comfortable talking to us about it. But, you know, that's when their true colors and the true thoughts kind of really come out. Overall, I think it's gone pretty well. I don't know. The rest of you guys can I found that most of my parents, when I was talking to them at parent-teacher conferences, really loved the idea of getting multiple attempts to demonstrate mastery versus like you just do once poorly, that's it. Um, they really were receptive to the idea of, oh, my kid gets multiple shots to show that they, they know something. So a lot of parents seem to be on board. I want to say a piggyback off what Kelly just said. I think one of the, the really cool things about the way this is happening is we, we, we spent a lot of time coming up with a, a spreadsheet that we could make, that we could share with our students. And, and Kelly did a lot, a lot of work on that to make it happen. And what we have now is students can look at their individual spreadsheet and see in real time exactly what they've got for scores in each standard. And what I always tell my students, every day look at your sheet. And if your last score is a one or a two, you have 24 hours to come talk to me about it. And if you come talk to me about it, you don't have to stay a one or a two. Because like Jamie said earlier, there, there are so many chances to try again. And they don't have to wait for the next formal quiz question. They could come to me after school and say, hey, give me a problem. I'll do it at the board in front of you right now. You can ask me anything you want about it, and I'll show you I, I've mastered it. And if they come to me and do that, then I, I can put a four into their, their score right away. So the fact that they can have real-time data if they want it. Now, now, all my students have gotten used to the idea of looking at their sheet regularly. I think after term one is over, a lot more are going to start catching on to that. But they can see exactly where they're at. And the idea is, if you see a one or two and you're not happy about it, all you got to do is come talk to us. Come talk to us and say, look, I got a two on my last question on standard four. And I want to I, I make sure I understand that standard. Better. Can I come after school and go over it with you and try again? And all of us are going to say, of course you can. And then they can take that two and they can... I don't want, they won't replace it, but it doesn't matter. The next score will be a three or a four. And once you've got that four, no one's looking back at that two anymore. So I, I really like that idea because it motivates the kids to do well and it motivates them to want to get better as, as opposed to just get, it, get an A. They, they need to get better to, to get the A they want, I guess. So one of the questions that I had that I was going to ask is, um, how do you implement this with a traditional gradebook software program? And you answered that by saying you've kind of created your own spreadsheet, which works better for you. How do you convert that then into your district's gradebook that you have to use? Do you have to maintain two different locations? So, yes, uh, we do. Uh, I think we all do it a little bit differently, but in our school system, we, Jamie mentioned the preliminary term grade. We look at our spreadsheet and they have their standard score and their average standard score. And we have that converted into an A, B or C or D because Kelly worked her magic on the spreadsheets. And, you know, so we have this number that fits into the hundred point scale. And we literally just type that number into our, our learning system. And that's what it goes on their report card. I personally in their spreadsheets track their assessments. And in their school system that they can, in school brains, they have their preliminary grade, which we try to update every two weeks so that they can see like if grades close right now, it's grade B. And I also put all their tasks in school grades so that they can see and parents can see, are they doing their work? So that's how I broke it down. So in the school wide software, it's tasks plus 
what their grade is right now based on the sheet, which does a much better job calculating for us. And the reason we came up with the whole spreadsheets idea was that our school brain system, the kids on their end, it's just a long list of assignments. It's not sorted by any sort of order. So students wouldn't be able to see, oh, attempt one on standard one, I got this score. Then the second attempt, I got this score. It was such a mess on their end. We wanted to give them a way where they could easily see that they're improving over time, hopefully. So we're still putting stuff in that that school brain system so that there's stuff there for parents and because we're contractually like need to. But that spreadsheet makes it a lot easier to see the growth over time. I also think when we thought about how we wanted to um, put things out to parents through school brains, I think as a parent, what do I want to know? I want to know, is my kid completing their work? And I want to know what their grade is. So that's why we put the tasks in there. So parents can very clearly see, is their work done or is it missing? Um, and then that preliminary grade, as Becky said, we update that every two weeks. So parents can always tell exactly how their student is doing in a traditional grading system. And then those standards categories allow them to see, are they meeting the learning standards or are they not? Hopefully that fits everything that a parent might want to know. But this spreadsheet is much more like up to date, spot on with what the kid is doing. And I think it makes it easier for the kids to follow too. And that was definitely a learning curve with this term for our students. But it, it's been funny when you see them in the hallway, you can hear them saying, well, I saw in my spreadsheet, I got a four and they are all excited about it. It's definitely something that they're looking at. It just took them a little while to figure it out. But I think they're catching on. And I'll just throw in that when we put the tasks in our our school gradebook, we're using words. It just says done or missing. Like that's it. Either you did it or you didn't. But the other piece to this, this took me a long time to kind of wrap my head around was we're looking to see if they did the tasks and we're putting that in school brains, but we're still providing them feedback on the task so that they know how to improve, get better on the standard. So in some ways, grading the assessments is, is kind of easy. You're just kind of looking at what the kid does and you're assessing that one before, but it, giving them that feedback, Janelle's really good about giving feedback verbally, you know, after school. And we have this power block called biking block during our school day. I have a lot of written assignments still, like just giving them the feedback and writing on their homework. So we're still assessing their homework and assessing their tasks we're just not putting a number on it at all, other than you did it. Here's where you could do better on this assignment to do better on the next assessment. Awesome. I think that's an easy shift people can make too. If they're not ready to go all in with this, I think it's easy to just not put a number on something. Just give kids feedback. You don't have to grade it. You can just give kids feedback and then they'll improve the next time, hopefully. You mentioned the standards and you found the skills that you were working on and you mentioned uh, Rebecca, that that was difficult for you. I teach a computers program that my standards are the ISTE standards, and they're very vague. Any advice for teachers that are in this situation where the standards are kind of created on their own? So I mentioned we were doing this with the English department. So for my AP classes, just like Becky, I took it from the College Board CED. But for all of the other classes in the English department, we use the state frameworks. Um, and so it's the same thing. Some of those are kind of vague. So what we did was we combined multiple standards and then we reworded it into more kid-friendly language. And I am familiar with the ISTE standards, so I completely agree with what you said. 
But I think you could do something similar. I think you could look at these, we call them the power standards. So I think you look at those standards, you figure out exactly what the most important ones are to you. I would say between 10 and 15 is a good number, but that might be combining. It might be taking them and rewriting them to into language that students will understand. But I definitely, I think teachers should feel empowered to do that. I think take the standards that you have and then make them work for what fits for you and your students. I think one thing that, that helped me kind of get some clarity is just ask myself the question, what do I want my students to be able to do when we're done? You know, if, if the year is over, what questions, what should they be able to do? And although we haven't done this formally, I, you know, I'm thinking right now, Chrissy, as we're, we're talking today, I, I think this seems some vertical alignment and talking to other teachers for courses that my students are going to be going to next and asking them, what do you have for expectations for your students to be able to do when they come to your class? I think this opens up a lot of good conversation among, among colleagues and departments to figure it out. Because, you know, I think it was Becky that said it. What exactly are we grading them on in the past? You know, and, and this is really trying to give clarity as to what we think is important. You know, what are the big ideas that when you leave this class, this is what you should have mastered? And I think with like standards being vague, I kind of like it being vague. So in my CP environmental science class, I don't have any state standards to go off of. So I've used the AP standards as my guide. But at the same time, this group of kids is their college prep level kids, it's kind of the lower level. They really don't want to be in the class. They're just there because they need another science course. So I don't want them memorizing content like in my AP class. I want them to take on the skill of, I'm going to play the role of a scientist. I'm going to come up with a research question. I'm going to design an experiment around it. I want them to have more real world skills. The fact that I don't have standards, I made them all just basically skills around designing a scientific experiment. And I love the fact that it's that big because every unit, I can take the content and make some sort of project around that particular skill of designing a question and making hypotheses and analyzing data. So I love when the standards fit because I have more freedom. I was just going to say that vague standards aren't the worst thing in the world because you want to make sure that you can cover everything that you do for the year back to that standard somehow. So tying the standard into every, for me, every new topic or every new unit and making sure the kids see how the standard fits that unit it might be slightly different depending on what you're doing, but they can work well. Well, and one thing I think that I hear you saying is that the switch from traditional to standards-based grading is allowing the students to better understand what they are actually learning. Is that true? Yes. Yes. Any advice for teachers that are interested in this topic but don't have the support from their district and no one else is on the same page. You've given several ideas of where they could start by using words instead of numbers. Any other advice for those teachers out there that are like, oh, I want to try this, but I don't know where to begin? What Jamil said earlier, start by thinking about at the end of the year, where do you want your kids to be? Skills or five items that you wanted your kids to be masters of by the end of your class, what would they be? So start at the end and then work kind of backwards and say, okay, I want my kids to be here. These are the five things I want every assignment to focus on. And that doesn't involve like a total restructuring of what you do. But if you think, you know, you're going to give an assignment, how does this tie into my end goal? You might find yourself giving um, smaller, shorter assignments, kind of rethinking about how you're assessing those assignments. You know, are you grading them just the way you always did? Or now are you grading them in light of this is what my end goal was? is my student on that path, just kind of shifting the thought. 
I think a really easy stepping stone is that instead of like Jamie was saying, you could grade something, not grade something at all, like give it back to them with just feedback on it without a number grade. Or if you still want to put some sort of grade on it, instead of putting 95 out of 100 or 96 out of 100, just put A or B or C. So you're not quite there at the standards base where you're saying mastering or meeting, but it's something that you're familiar with and students might be familiar with. Just categorize it as A work, B work, C work, D work and give that feedback for how a kid could improve. And if they do improve, um, hopefully they're getting where they need to be. And I think I would tell anybody who's interested and doesn't quite know how to go about it, just think about, are your grades giving the students the right message? Is that grade reflecting what you want your student to be and where you want them to go? And again, I said it earlier, for me, it's all about keeping that student motivated. I think we all agree if we have a motivated student that they'll all learn. They might not learn right away. It might, it might take time. But if we have a motivated student for a full year, that they're going to learn and they're going to end up exactly where we want them to end up at the end of the year. So how do you devise that grading system to keep that kid motivated? And I think with what we've come up with, seeing that incremental improvement and being rewarded for that incremental improvement keeps those kids wanting to get better. So to me, that's what it comes down to, right? I mean. I've been teaching for so long and then giving out so many different grades that they all seem kind of meaningless sometimes to me. But what's always important is, is it motivating the students to want to get better? And if what you're doing currently is, is doing that, then keep doing what you're doing. Don't change at all. But if what you're doing isn't motivating your students, then then look at it and, and say, what can I do to, to, to make those changes to keep those students engaged and motivated to become better? I would also add, just don't feel like anything has to be perfect. With the English department, um, we have a really young department. So I had a few colleagues come came to me last year and said, I really like what you've been doing with grading. Can we try that next year? And then we had a couple new teachers come on board. So I said, you know what? If we wait until this system is perfect, we're never going to try it because our system's never going to be perfect. Like you, you kind of do need to dive in and try things and talk to the students and see what works for them and what doesn't. Kids will be very honest with you. So I think don't be afraid to have those conversations with your kids to see what's going to work with your classes. And also just don't be afraid to try new things. And if you wait until it's perfect, you'll never get started. So might as well start somewhere. I like that. Might as well start somewhere. Cool. Well, do you have any other thoughts or advice you'd like to share? I thank you so much for your time and appreciate you sharing with us. I'm excited that our listening audience will, I think they'll very much enjoy the insights and the information that you've given. I would just say, and this was what, what Jamie was saying earlier, is it can, you always hit these roadblocks whenever you're trying to make these changes, but not to be afraid to try them. I mean, there were so many points, even just like in the first month of September and later in August, when we were talking about these changes and what we were doing, it, you know, we'd run to each other and be like, well, should we do this? Should we do that? And then, I have to say, usually it was Jamie who'd be like, we just need to make a decision and try it. And if it doesn't work, we can fix it. But we know that we want to change and we know that this is for the better. So let's just keep moving on and keep trying and improve where we need to improve. So try not to let the roadblocks and the challenges get to you because it can be tough. And there's a lot of things that you need to work through and figure out. But, you know, you got to start somewhere. And if you are alone, try to find a friend, <laughs> find a buddy, because that has been a huge help to be able to run across the hall or, you know, pick up the phone and say, kid, just ask me this question about grading. What do you think I should say? I do. I think it's nice to have that camaraderie and 
you know, to have somebody to bounce ideas off of. And it doesn't have to be a big group. Even if you just have one other person to help you out, I think that that goes a long way. And I think one benefit that we'll all agree on, I've heard Jamie say this numerous times, the level of collegiality that we've all encountered with each other, just trying to work out how to make this system work. And the reflection that we've done on our own practices to see, hey, is what we're doing working? Is it benefiting our students? I think that's been one added benefit that I think all of us agree has been just a, a real extra bonus for us as we've been, been on this journey. And just like our students, we want them to keep improving. I feel like we keep improving with our system and how this all works. Every day we're trying something new or changing something ever so slightly. It's a big work in progress. Thank you so much for your time to be here. And for our listening audience, I have asked them for some resources. We'll put those on our website. If you're interested in checking out those, uh, you can always find us at www.emporia.edu slash HWTT. Thank you so much for joining us on How We Teach This. Thank you. Thank you, Christy. Thank you. Thank you very much. We hope that you've enjoyed this episode and will subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. This podcast has been brought to you by the Teachers College at Emporia State University, featuring talks with experts and educators, addressing topics that can help you as an educator, a parent, and a person. We release new episodes every other Wednesday. You can get more information provided by our guests on our website, www.emporia.edu hwtt. We would appreciate it if you could help us spread the word about the podcast. You can follow us and share on Twitter with at HWTT underscore ESU. You can find us on Facebook. Just search for How We Teach This. If you would like to be a guest on our show or are willing to give us some feedback, please send us an email at HWTT at Emporia.edu. I'm Christy Dugan, the executive producer. You've been listening to How We Teach This. Thank you.